If you don't know who I am, my name is Kevin Crow. I'm the junior high uh, pastor here. And, and so I'm, wor- I'm used to working with junior high students. So first off, let me apologize. I know I speak really fast. Um, it's just so, I don't know, it just students like it. It's just how it is. So my wife yells at me often about it. But, um, so bear with me on that. I'll try, I've been trying to slow down. But more so, um, I work with junior high students, and so that means we interact a little bit. So I appreciate you actually responding. Good morning. So if something's funny, you can laugh. If you agree with something, say amen. And if you don't, you can just be like, Give me the stink eye. So either way. But um, I'm excited to be with you guys this morning. Um, you know, it's been about a year since Mike last asked me to speak. And I think it's because I showed a video. If you were here with me last time, about a year ago, I showed a video of me beating Mike in competition. Um, he was a little hurt by it. And uh, he has, I don't know, for whatever reason, whether it's announcements or speaking, he doesn't really want me back on the stage. I don't know. No, I, I kid. Um, but as Andrew said, a lot of our, our pastors and our, our people are out um, um, just serving um, throughout the globe. And so we just want to make sure we are uh, mindful of them this, uh, this week and just praying for them as they are, they are out um, impacting the kingdom. So this week, we are, we are blessed to celebrate the birth of a nation, right? Like, I don't know about you guys, but I get excited about this week. I don't know who invented this concept when it came to the 4th of July, but we either get to go watch things blow up or get to, what I like to do, actually blow things up ourselves. So if you're a student, yes, right. So if you're a student in this room, like, this is my reminder to you, like, when you get done here, your first thing to do is not ask for where you're going to lunch, but ask your parents, when are we buying something and when are we blowing it up? Like, that's, that's what you need to ask them, right? Because we get, we get the right to do that, and it's fun, um, just don't blow yourself up. That's my disclaimer. But, um, you know, when I was thinking about this week, when I was thinking about preparing, when I was thinking about, you know, the, hopefully the message that uh, we're going to talk about uh, and the scripture we're going to talk about, it's this idea of this and-then moment. As Andrew talked about, like this, this and-then, when Jesus shows up, how everything changes. And there's power in that and there's weight in that. And I, and I hope that um, you guys like me this week have an opportunity um, because it's the 4th of July. We, we picnic, we celebrate. You get an opportunity to interact with individuals you typically don't talk to on a daily basis. And so I hope because of our and then moment, because of the fact that Christ showed up, um, conquered death, that we will take a chance, a moment, just an opportunity uh, to share his love um, this week. And so when I was, when I was preparing, I came across uh, a quote, and I wanted to read this to you guys, because I just think it just, the weight uh, of what Christ's impact had on our world, and just a great reminder of that. It says, consider this. Socrates taught for 40 years, Plato for 50, Aristotle for 40, and yet Jesus for only three. Yet the influence of Christ's three years of ministry is greater than the impact left by the combined 130 years of teaching from these men who were all considered among, uh, among men the greatest philosophers of all time. Think even farther. Jesus painted no pictures, yet some of the finest paintings of Raphael, Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci received their inspiration from him. Jesus wrote no poetry, but Dante, Milton, and scores of, wor- of the world's greatest poets were inspired by him. Jesus composed no music. Still Hayden, Handel, Beethoven, and Bach reached their highest perfection of melody in the music they composed in his praise. Every sphere of him, human influence, of human greatness, has been enriched by the influence of Jesus Christ. And, you know, we get this sometimes, at least for me, that, you know, this huge marble we live on, I am just one individual. What impact do I have the ability to make? But the reality is this. Because of Christ's conquering death, when we realize that, when we accept that, when we have this and-then moment, we are influenced by the greatest just amazing thing that has happened in, our, in the history of our world. 
So if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to John 21. And we're going to talk about like an and then moment. Um, and because this is the last chapter uh, of John. And if you, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But in this, we get to talk and get to see about a disciple. Uh, a disciple named Peter. And Peter, he, he is a mess. Just an absolute mess. See, leading up to, let me give you a little back history of what's happened. See, Jesus ha- has been in the garden. He's told his disciples, like, listen, someone is going to... Um, someone is going to betray me. And Peter, he looks and he's just like, he's looking around at his guys and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Listen, these jokers over here, they may not be up to the standard. That's not me. I will never, ever deny you. And Jesus looks at him and says, listen, before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. And so Peter was devastated by that, but still not sure. But then Jesus is arrested. He's taken to trial. And during this interrogation time, this happens. Peter, Peter denies Jesus three times. And then he's crucified. But fortunately, it doesn't end there. He conquers death. And so for Peter in his mind, like, like I said, the disciples, you know, during this time of the crucifixion, like the disciples are just scattered. And so for Peter, like I said, he is a mess emotionally. He, like, he is distraught. Like he, you know, he, he had left his entire livelihood and in doing so followed this man and denied him. And, and more than a man, a man who conquered death, a man who was our savior. And so in this, this scripture we're going to look at, you see Jesus asking Peter this question three times. And there's significance behind that, right? Do you love me? And see, when Jesus conquered death, everything changed. And so before I get into our scripture, what, what about this that changed? What about it is, is, is this impact coming from? And there's three simple things I want us to think about, to know, uh, to realize. That for Peter, I think if he would have realized it would have changed things, but he, he didn't. He was still learning. And this is something that he's about to learn. And the first one is this, is that when... When Jesus conquered death, three simple rules that occurred about him is that Jesus shows up when things seem hopeless. See, in our life, like when, when things seem hopeless, we, we, we a lot of times pray out. And we want things to turn out like we want them to turn out. But that, that doesn't always happen. But the reality is that Jesus is there. You know, the, the saying goes, it's always darkest before the dawn. See, when things are hopeless, when things are in despair, when things are dark, Jesus is there. And like I said, I don't have time to unpack all these three, but these are things that... I, I want us to really grasp because I think it gives weight to where we're going in our scripture this morning. The second thing is this. Jesus shows up because he understands the struggles we're facing. See, all throughout Jesus' ministry, you know, you have him being tempted in the wilderness. You have that going on and him, and him being exposed to basically every temptation that we can feel. You have the Sadducees and the Pharisees constantly throwing trials at Jesus, trying to trick him, trying to fool him. Everything that we we can face, he understands. He understands that struggle. And the third thing is that he shows up because he cares. Jesus tells us, and the scripture tells us that, listen, we were wonderfully and uniquely made in his image. He knows every, ha- every speck of hair on our head. For some of us, that's more than others, but he knows it. He knows it because he cares. And so when we realize these three things, the conversation that's about to happen between Peter and Jesus, it, it brings out an entire different light. But before, but like Peter, you know, for a lot of us, there's a time before we know Jesus. But time before we have that and then moment. For me, I was thinking about this. Uh, I was thinking about like, when was that? When, when, not even my and then moment, but when was a time that like, I was scared. I felt hopeless. I, I was like 
just unsure. And, and, I, and I came to a memory of my second grade year. So I grew up in a small town in southern Arkansas. And so in small town southern Arkansas, there's things that occur that just don't occur anymore. Uh, at least I hope not. I think they've changed. But for me, um, I had this mindset that because I was a second grade boy, I was stupid, and I was all about competition. And so as a second grade boy, that I realized, as my peers did as well, that in the bathrooms, there's 12, perfect 12-inch squares that are laid on that made basically lines. And so for you guys, you probably know where I'm going with this. And, for, and you're like, yeah, I've been there. If you the women in the room, you're probably like, oh my goodness, really? Uh, my wife was like, Kevin, stop. And then for you kids, let me just help you out here. Don't do what I say or I'm about to say, because listen, it's just going to cause trouble. But for, again, for a second grader, like in competition being my thing, you know, I thought, you know, girls go to the bathrooms in groups. They should be doing the same thing. Like, guys, we should go to the bathroom in groups because, and if you go as a group, there's competition to occur. And so for me as a second grader, it was who could aim the farthest, right? Like, and that's what we did. And we're doing this and a teacher walks in on us and we're just looking and we're wide-eyed and we're scared. And the reason why we're scared, because like I said, small town, small school, like there was no like calling a parent to receive a paddling. Like, you walk down there, you got it, you got what you deserve, and you got sent back. But the other thing is, is our principal had this mindset that if you had done something that he felt like the rest of the school needed to know about and that he wanted to, to change, he called an assembly. And then he would bring you out, tell you what you did, give the other students a lecture, and then have you line up, give you the paddle in front of everybody, and then send you back to class. And so in my mind, I am terrified. Like, I'm scared. Like, I, I, I'm, not only am I feeling ashamed, but like, there's all these raw emotions. And this is not even the fact, like, are they calling my parents? Like, what am I supposed to do? Like, as a second grader, I've heard the stories of Billy. Billy did not come back to class after he went down to the principal's office, right? Like, these are the emotions going through. And I don't know if this is the same for Peter, but here's Peter in this moment of complete denial of Jesus. And he is just distraught. Like, I mean, there are so many raw emotions going on. And he's having this interaction that we're about to read about. And Jesus saying, hey, do you love me? Talk about a heavy conversation that's about to go on. So let's get into this. John 21, and we're going to start with verse 1. And I want to read several different verses and, and get us to what, uh, what we're going to go into today. So after this. Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. So let me stop right there. So if you didn't remember, Peter, before... Before he became a disciple, this was his profession. Like, you know, on his boat, you know, the Sea of Galilee Boat Company, I mean, it's stamped on there, you know, like it's like FLW, whatever, you know, like he was the professional fisherman. This is what he did. So for like many of us, whether it's because we think we're good at it, it's our hobby or profession, you know, like we're, we're in these emotional moments, what do we do? We go back to what we know, what's, what, what, what feels good. And so I imagine Peter's done the same thing, right? He's, he's emotionally distraught. He's scattered. I'm going to go back to what I know. I'm going to go fishing. So here we go. So they went out fishing. And they went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Whew, talk about a bad day. So just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? So again, so here you go. And we've heard a similar story before the, uh, about this or like this before. But here you have this guy on the shore. They've been out all night. We're professionals. We're, we're supposed to be good at what we do. We haven't caught a thing. And this guy on the shore is yelling, children. Talk about mocking them, right? Children, you caught anything? I imagine the response, it just says no, but I imagine the response was more than just like, no. Like, I imagine like, they're like cursing under their breath, right? Like, really? 
who is this God? Can we drown him? Can we, can we, what, what, you know, like, what, what, what is the emotions going on? And they're like, no. And then he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. I'm sure grudgingly, but they did it. So they cast it. And then now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And I think at the moment they realize, right? Like this is, this is played out before. It is the Lord. And so when Simon Peter heard it, that is the Lord. He put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. I imagine this is not like just like, hey, swan diving in. I mean, he's like throwing himself in. Like he is going like, this is the Lord. And so he threw himself into the sea and the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got on the land, they saw that a charcoal fire in place was fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Now this part, I don't know necessarily if this is true, but when I was studying this, I just think this is really interesting. And I think if it is true, it adds a lot of weight. I didn't have the ability to confirm this. But when I, one of the commentaries when I was reading and studying about uh, and getting ready for this morning, it talked about how the 153, the reason why that number is significant is because at that time, it was believed there was 153 species of fish in the Galilean Sea. And so for, for the significance of that, if that, so if that's true, plays out a lot of weight in these verses to come. So Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, and this is where I really, like these next few verses is really what we're going we're gonna to focus in uh, this morning. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Things are getting heavy. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, he said to Peter, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter responded to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so Jesus said, tend to my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. He said to, he said to Jesus, when, when Jesus said to him, do you love me a third time? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. See, going back to this verse 15, because see, this is a heavy conversation, right? If you can imagine, if you had that much emotions going, that much baggage going on inside of you, is that really what you want to be asked right now by that person? Do you love me? Not once, not twice, but three times, right? Not just like, hey, hey, you know, like, are we, are we good, right? Hey, you kind of you did some things. It kind of hurt my feelings. Are we, are we okay? This wasn't like, like a DTR type deal. Like this is, this is a heavy conversation going on. And so in verse 15, when we start right there, he, he's using this word of love. And when you break this down, when you start looking at the Greek, there's some really cool things that start standing out. And the first one is this, that the first Greek word that is being used of love is this philia. And, and, and if you know of like 
You're kind of like, wait, wait, I've heard this term before, right? Right? There's a city that we know about. It's got mediocre football. You've probably heard of it. It's this idea of brotherly love, right? Like Philadelphia. We've, we've heard of the city. And it's this idea that if we, if we have a friend, we love them because we, we, want, we want to be in a relationship with them. We care about them. And so that's the, the first kind of love that is being, being shown here. And then the other one is this agape love. It is a sacrificial love. It's a love that we see all through like 1 Corinthians 13 that describes Jesus and who he is to us. That the sacrifice that was made, the reason why he came to this planet, a sacrificial love. He's, you know, and all throughout scripture, you know, God commands us. There's this, uh, an agape love that we need to have. A love that is not, uh, you know, that is, that is for all. Like, you know, he tells us to love our enemies sacrificially. I mean, this is heavy. This is deep. And so you can imagine, like I said, the emotions going on through Peter's mind. But it wasn't just that he asked him, do you love me? He asked him, do you love me more than these? So what was he asking? Do you love me more than these? Is he saying, wait, wait, okay. I'm, and I'm thinking Peter. I'm thinking Peter's mindset. And I'm like, all right, what is, what is Peter thinking? Do you love me more than these? Is he thinking, all right, I'm a fisherman. I try going out fishing. And so is he asking, do you love me more than a profession, a hobby? Do you love me more than the money that you're going to make from this load of uh, uh, fish? Do you love me more than your, you know, your things? What, what is he asking? But when it comes to sacrificial love, I think he's asking more. He's asking the same love that we see through Christ's sacrifice. So, so maybe, maybe it's something more. Because I, I, hopefully in Peter's mind, because if he's thinking it's based on... Um, it being a, a, about a profession. He may be a little hurt because it says, you know, they went out all night and they didn't catch anything. So, right, it wasn't until Christ showed up that uh, really anything happened. So I don't know if he was a good fisherman or not. Maybe he had a poor, uh, poor profession going. Who knows? But so maybe it's something more then. You know, so maybe it's when Peter in his proud moment, when he was in front of all the other disciples saying, listen, listen, these jokers over here, what's it talk about Mark 14? Listen, even though they all fall away, I will not. These guys, you know what? They're not, they're not up to the same standard I am, Jesus. I will never deny you. And so maybe he's saying, do you love me more than these? Do you still love me more than these other disciples? But here's what's crazy. When he asks this question, it's even more than that. He says, he, calls, he doesn't call him Peter. He calls him Simon, son of John. See, this name, Simon, son of John, this name that he, he gave him, this is the name that Jesus gave Peter when he formed into that relationship with him. And so this is the name he had when his life completely turned around. And in Peter's mind, he, beca- he had meaning. He had purpose. And so now because of his purpose, because of his new name. And so was this insult to injury? Was Jesus saying, Simon, son of John, like, do you love me more than these? Like, I mean, is, is Jesus just piling it on him? He considered himself really like, who am I? What, what was my purpose? But when he was given the name Peter, he, his, his meaning, his purpose in life, his and then moment. It all changed. And, and so when, I, when we think about this, when we think about the weight of a name, what, what was going on here? Was Jesus wanting to know, like, was Peter's commitment, was it shallow? Was it superficial? Like, was there something more that he needed to have? Like, what, what was he questioning? And I think what, what, what we realize is that Jesus was basically trying to get Peter to realize, when you turn away, when you don't, when your old self, when your sin, when that defines you, it's going to weight you down. But when you allow your commitment, your love for me to define you, things change. 
And that brings us into our first point, and that is this. And I think this is what Jesus is trying to show Peter. Is that because all throughout Scripture, he refers to us he, you know, as fishers of men. As we consider ourselves Christ followers. We are individuals who are fishers of men. And so as a result of that, when he's asking you, do you love me more than these? He's saying, you are called to love at a higher degree of the highest love. You are called to love me sacrificially. You are called to love every one of my creations. Because he tells him, what does he say? Whenever, what, what do you do? Do you love me more than these? What, what do you do as a result of this? If you do, and Peter said, yes. He said, go and feed my lambs. Saying, listen, every one of my creation is uniquely and wonderfully made, and I love them. And so if you love me, sacrificially, then go and love every single creation I have, every single human that I have created in my image. Love them sacrificially. Love them more than your purpose. Love them more than your career. Love them more than the possessions, the things that you perceive as value. See, when we do this, we are denying ourselves. This is kind of sometimes a Christian, Christianese word that gets used, a church word that, or phrase that gets used. When we're denying ourselves, what we're doing is we're literally saying, listen, our sin our past is no longer what defines us. We are, we are giving purpose and meaning to now what defines us. What defines us is that we have been made anew in the image of God. That we have been called, are in the moment, to, to reach out after His glory, to reach out after His love. A love that we can't find on our own. A love that we see and that we seek after because of God filling us inside. And that's huge. And so he says, do you, if you love me, feed my lambs. So again, this, this is just the first time. So then it goes on. So now we get into the second one. The second time Jesus asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Here again, do you love me sacrificially? And if you do, take care of my sheep. See, I think there's, when, when we realize this, when we realize when he's asking him, he's saying, all right, take care of it, all of my creation. But also, everyone who's come to be in a relationship with me, they have value. So teach them, guide them, lead them. He's telling them, sacrificially, these are the things I need you to do if you are going to follow after me. And then a third time, he switches course. And I think it's interesting that he does, because I don't think Peter quite catches in the moment. Because in the third time, he says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He switches to this brotherly love. And I imagine Peter, especially with his response, that he's so distraught, he's in such denial over his past, over his mistakes that he made, that he's not, he doesn't even catch this. And I think that he's, he's realizing, like Jesus is realizing, listen, listen, Peter, I need you, I need you to calm down for a little. Listen, I, I forgive you. Don't let this define who you are. You are capable of great things because you are capable of doing things for my kingdom. And so in this third one, he asked, when he, he's looking for a, a total renewal of commitment, a reaffirmation of his purpose, and for Peter to realize that. Because Jesus sees that in Peter, and he wants him to know, listen, it's still there. What I saw in you before is still there. What he sees in us, to go tend his sheep, to go feed it, it's still there, to feed his lambs. So why was Peter so hurt? See, I think when I think about hurt, when I think about sorrow, when I think about this denial, I think what happens is we get this mindset that when we get hurt by someone, that we expect that someone, someone has wronged us. And we expect someone to have to come to us to forgive us. And we, we, we get this mindset that we, we need to be better, like this treatment situation that needs to occur. But for Peter, his hurt was so much deeper because his hurt was a result of conviction. 
And so what Jesus needed him to realize is that the work through this hurt, the work through this denial that he was living in, that he was no longer good enough, that he needed to repent. He needed to let go. And that in his heart and his mind, he had to realize that he was made for so much more. In 2 Corinthians, it reads this in uh, chapter 7, 9 through 10. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffer no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. See, when we have an understanding, when we, when we have a need for, for repentance, we start into this, this situation, we start into this mindset of restoration. We start to realize that we, we, we are made new because of Christ's death and conquering of that death. And so because of that, Peter's starting to finally starting to grasp a little bit of, wait, there's, there's, there's more to this. There's, there's, there's joy that can be found. See, pain and sorrow are not, not things that occur because of a relationship we have with Christ. Pain and sorrow result in our life so that we can realize and we can see and we can have a firm understanding in our relationship with Jesus. And in that pain and sorrow, we can find joy. In Psalms 126 and 5, it says this, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. See, when we have joy, when we, we, we have this joyful shouting, there's a thing that changes. Like I said earlier, the, when Jesus showed up, when he conquered death, Everything changed. And that thing that changed is he brought peace. And with this peace, with this joy that we can find, we realize that it is a gift. It is a gift. Peace is a gift from God. And as a result of that gift, he says, I give peace to you. You know, when I think about peace, there's, a, there's always a story that stands out in my mind where you had Jesus in the boat on the Sea of Galilee and he's falling asleep. And you've got some disciples and some other men there and the storm comes up. And the, they're freaking out. The storm is going to take them over. And so they run down and the, or, or go to the, the, the belly of the, the, uh, the boat. And they're sh- waking up Jesus. And they're like, Jesus, look, the storm. Like, we're going to perish. We're going to die. Do something. And it's like, 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 a little, like a little puppy, right? Like, just, guys, it'll be okay. Like, he walks out and just calmly and looks at the storm and says, peace. Be still. And the storm just stops. See, peace is a gift that protects our hearts. In Philippians 4, 6 through 7, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, that term of peace that's being used, it's a military term. It describes a soldier watching guard. See, when we trust in this truth, we realize that God's peace stands guard over a troubled soul. And that is huge. When Jesus showed up, he brought a new perspective. See, until the resurrection, the disciples were confused. They were, they were scared. They were in denial. But when in John 20, 20, it talks about when he shows up to them, he shows them the, the, the impacts, the, the, the holes in his wrist and in his side. And they realized, they were glad. They realized that their, their whole perspective, that, that, that for them, it was completely different. They were, they were no longer in denial of, wait, we had spent the last few years following this Lord, the Savior, and thinking it was for nothing. Now they realize, wait, there's something so much more that can be found. See, 
Peter realized, and I think he starts realizing this moment. And he says, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. See, and at this moment, I think things are starting to click for Peter. He's saying, listen, you knew I was going to deny you, but yet you still love me. You still love me despite what I did. And so because of that, Peter's heart was hurt. But his wisdom in this moment realized that his Savior, that the Savior that we have a relationship with, have the ability to have a relationship with, he knows all things. He knows the sorrow. He knows the pain. He knows the hurt that is in our lives. And as a result of this, as a result of this, even though he denied him three times, he knew that his heart had had changed and his heart was capable of doing so much more. And so what was so cool about that is that Jesus, said, Jesus knew that, listen, because, you're, because that sorrow, like you're realizing there that his ministry was capable of so much more. His ministry was going to move on, not for three days, not for three weeks, not for three months, but for three decades. Because for us, when we are able to move beyond that denial, when we're able to move on beyond that, that sin and that past mistakes that we think are weighting us down, then we start able to move forward. Because that repentant heart, what that creates is this mindset that we are to trust and obey. And when we trust and obey, we take action. And by taking action, we are called to live a life of kingdom work, to do something, to respond. See, Jesus knew that Peter was capable of so much more. But Peter had to be able to move out of his own way. And sometimes for ourselves, our, when we get, we get so caught up, so caught up, that I'm not worthy. I'm not capable. Why, why would Jesus ever want to use me? What am I capable of? And he's like, listen, you are capable. You are capable of loving and tending my sheep. You are capable of pouring truth into this dark world. See, when we do that, we're called to be into a relationship, relationship with people and into ministry. And that's what our ministry is, is being in relationship with other people, with other people we interact with in our neighborhoods, our communities, whatever it may be. And the cool thing about that is, is that even though not all of us are called to be pastors, we're all called to be relational. We're all called to teach the gospel. Every single one of us have been filled with that ability. And we are called to do that, to take action. That is huge. In Acts 2, we see this in verses 32. This Jesus God raised up, and of that, we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for forgiveness of your sins, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, when we have a repentant heart, when we take action, when we trust and obey, it means that we are fishers of men. It means that we are in that relationship. And as a result of being fishers of men, we are, we are to go fishing, right? This is, we, some of us in this room probably love to go fish. And that's what we're called to do. And fishing means this, that we are in relationships. It doesn't mean we're, we're thumping people over the head of the Bible. It means that we are in relationships with people of this world. And you have an opportunity to do that. In Hebrews 13, it says, May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us 
that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. See, when we take action, when we take John 21 and start applying it to our lives, and we start having these and then moments, things for us change. And this is where I want us to kind of wrap our minds around and kind of end with today. And we've got this visual up here that when we're called to live a life of kingdom work, we're called to take action. We're called to be fishers of men, just like Peter was, just like the disciples were, each and every one of us. And so this morning, what I'd like for us to do, is, kind of, especially because I love the fact that we have kids in the room and that we are, we are together as, as a family. And so as a family, what I want us to do is that we have a great opportunity this week. Like I said, it's the 4th of July. We, get, we, we are, it, there's never a time in the year that we are told to go fellowship with our neighbors more than what we are told this week. And so what I want us to do is think about someone that whether it's in our, our neighborhood, our communities, our, our works, our schools, whatever, but someone that you can have an opportunity to share, to talk about, to show that sacrificial love that was given to each and every one of us. And as you have that mindset, as you, as you come up with that name as a family, I want you as a family to pray. And so as the band's playing, you're just going to kind of get in a group. You're going to talk through as a family. You're going to come up with that name. You're going to pray about that, that individual. Whether it's that you're going to have a conversation with, go do an act of kindness, whatever it may be. And then what I'd love for us to do is when you have that name, is as a family, come up and grab one of these strips of cloth and write that name of that person on here. And I'm going to have some students that are going to come give me a hand and they're going to be standing up here and just bring that cloth to them. And they're going to tie it up and they're going to be weaving this net this net to be used as a symbol and a reminder that each and every one of us, because of our and then moments, have an opportunity to make an impact, to have an opportunity to go fishing, to be in relationships, to be in community, and to make an impact for this world that is beyond anything else that we can imagine. So let's group up as a family.